This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Students and teachers head back to class this week after the summer break. School administrators are scrambling to find teachers and staff to fill vacancies, and educators are anxious about new rules about what they can and can't teach. Meanwhile, schools will have fewer strategies they can roll out against COVID than last year. Later in the show, we'll talk to Tampa Bay Times education reporter Jeff Solacek about his reporting on issues like school bus driver shortages, banned books, and upcoming school board elections. And we'll hear from Hillsborough County School Board Chair Nadia Combs about how the district is facing a shortage of more than 600 teachers. First, though, I talked to Brant Robinson and Dr. Theone Sublis about teacher morale amid new laws around the teaching of race, gender identity, and sexual orientation. Robinson teaches history at Dunedin High School, and Sublis is a professor of education at the University of Tampa. Brant, I want to start with you. What are you looking forward to? And on the flip side of that, what is your biggest concern yet as you start the new school year? Well, you know, right before we went on the air, I was telling you both how excited I am to really start the year. I was telling a lot of people today, I think I'm ready if the kids were to come back today. My classroom's all set up and I'm really excited. I'm going to be teaching a new elective this year, sociology for one class, and I'm super excited about it. But, you know, to answer your second question, Matt, because the two pieces of legislation just took effect July 1st, I'm especially grateful for you and the media because I think what we're going to need to do is monitor the impact of this legislation over the next month, next three months, and by the end of the semester. There are just a lot of questions out there. Now, I can tell you there's a lot of anxiety among my colleagues. And when you have so many more new teachers who are on annual contract, you know, there's more anxiety because it's uncertain the degree to which they'll be more under scrutiny. And of course, because one of those pieces of legislation allows members of the public to bring a lawsuit, you know, there's always that concern that's overriding not only the teacher in the classroom, but the principal and the administrators on campus. Hmm. Theone, what's your perspective on it? How do you think these new laws are going to impact the new crop of teachers coming through, the people that you're training to be teachers? Well, as we can see across the country, we have a national teacher shortage. We certainly have a teacher shortage in the state of Florida, and that's also reflective in teacher preparation programs at the university level around the state. But we do still have many, many students who have a dream to become a public school teacher. And when they get to campus in the fall, their level of enthusiasm is ripe for creativity. And that's what we're gonna harness. We're absolutely going to educate them on what the law is because even though they're still university students, they're pre-service students, they don't have certification, but we start our undergraduates in internships in their freshman year. They do five internships throughout the program. So we put them into the schools immediately. And so it's our responsibility at the university level to prepare them with a knowledge of what the laws have to say and how those laws are going to impact the curriculum that we teach, very similar to what Brandt was talking about. Mm. Brandt, in the lead up to the start of the school year, just in general terms, what's teacher morale like? You sound pretty hyped for the new term, but what about your colleagues? What are you hearing from them? You know, what's really important, I think, for your listeners We don't fault people in the general public for not following what we'll call educational politics. But I think for 25, 30, 40 years in this country, a lot of us have been guilty of not actually participating in democracy in a participatory way. And I think we're we're seeing the effects of that. But within the teaching realm, 
we have to put this in the larger context that even before the pandemic, we had teacher shortages, we had teacher exoduses. Almost half of all teachers in this country nationally don't make it to their fifth year of their career. Public schools have long been underfunded, for example. And this is all against the backdrop, particularly here in Florida, against the backdrop of standardized testing and the pressure to cover more material instead of actually do the things that we really love to do in the classroom. So morale has been low for a number of years. So if on top of that, you have a cadre of teachers across the country who really sacrificed during the pandemic, no differently than people in the medical field, no differently than the people that work at Dunkin' Donuts. Everybody did their part in the pandemic. I taught for a whole year, Matt, face-to-face and online at the same time. Let that sink in. We didn't know what we were doing, but we did the best we could, and we're really proud of what we did. But on top of all of those things I, I mentioned about contributing to low morale, on top of that, to have the governor of our state make accusations that we're trying to indoctrinate students or that we're using something called critical race theory in our classes. You know, I earned a master's degree in African-American history. I've taught African-American history as a course. I only first heard the term critical race theory in late 2020. So to have a governor accusing teachers of trying to indoctrinate our students and teach them to hate America, it's, it's just more fuel to the fire of demoralization. What do you say then to parents who may be worried about the impact of this new spate of laws on their children in the classroom? You know, one of the things I do at the beginning of the year, and it takes about a month, I call every parent or guardian of my student. And nobody knows more than particularly a history teacher what the real economic strains have been in this country on single families, for example. I'm raised by a single mom. But but generally speaking, how much harder working class people have had to had to endure over the last few decades to get less and less. We all know the cost of housing and health care and child care. Hmm. So for me, I understand the concerns that some parents are echoing about not having a voice in public schools. But I want to make sure we're all very clear. They're called public schools because schools have always been open to parents and guardians. We've always had PTA organizations. We've always had SAC committees. We have always had open public schools. Parents have always had the right, for example, to go through a school day with their child. It's called shadowing. There's been nothing denying parents. So perhaps what the pandemic did was it just made parents have to think more for the first time than they have normally. It's easy to take public schools for granted. We take all of our public services for granted. But perhaps for the first time, we had millions of American parents actually starting to really think about what their children were going through because their children were going through the kind of struggles that they go through in school, except they were having them at home. Hmm. So maybe for the first time, ironically, a lot of parents and guardians actually really had to think about what schooling is like and what all goes into it. And that might be really helpful in the end if we can actually weather this. Theone, do you get the sense that parents want to be more involved or that the pandemic has had some impact on the way parents kind of consider education, as, as Brandt was saying? I echo what Brandt is saying in terms of parents have always had access to public education and the research that supports the academic success of students when parents are involved in their education is something that we really need to include in the narrative. So when we're talking about parental rights, the DeSantis administration was very crafty in titling the piece of legislation, the Parental Rights Act, which has become to be known as the Don't Say Gay Bill. But the name of the piece of legislation is the Parental Rights Act. And 
it almost makes it appear as though prior to this piece of legislation that parents didn't have rights. And I think what Brandt is explaining is that we've always had rights as parents and we have always welcomed parents into the classroom and want their perspective um, on what's best for their individual student. Yeah, Matt, I would just add briefly that, you know, if you if you asked teachers before the pandemic, you know, what's one of their biggest concerns universally and with tremendous respect, the majority would say, I just wish parents and guardians would get more involved in their child's education. And, and I say that with tremendous respect, because after all, they're just tremendous economic strains on families that make it more and more difficult for them to physically be there to make sure that that their child is actually doing as well as they probably could in school. So I think that's important to point out. That was Dunedin High School history teacher Brant Robinson and University of Tampa education professor Theone Sublis. For more on how school districts are facing the new semester and how they aim to fill teacher vacancies, we're joined by Hillsborough County School Board Chair Nadia Combs. The district heads into the school year more than 600 teachers short. Nadia Combs, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Glad to be here today. So the school board has faced some budget challenges in recent years, uh, including figuring out how to replace about $9 million, I believe, in recognition funding that was held back because the district defied Governor DeSantis over mask mandates. First of all, can you bring us up to date on funding to replace that money, which was held back? Uh, What's happening there? Well, in the end, uh, DeSantis decided to go ahead and give us the recognition money, so it wasn't taken away. Um, And I was very pleased to see that occurred because we really didn't want teachers and schools that work so hard um, during such unprecedented times to end up, you know, losing out on funds. So luckily they decided to go ahead and fund that. Um, So nothing occurred as far as um, mass mandate. When we created a mass mandate for a short term There weren't any consequences for that because at the end of the day, we were trying to do what was best for our community. And I always remind people that um, for us, one of the reasons that we had to have mass mandates was we had thousands of teachers out at one time. And we had schools where there were 18 teachers out because of COVID and because of the quarantine. And so it was it became a security issue. You know, there were kids that were not going to be able to be uh, monitored. So it was really to make sure that we could kind of control the surge and keep our schools open. So luckily um, that that mandate did not occur and we received the money and we're just moving forward. Could you clarify something for me, though? My understanding was that the money had come via the federal government and then the state had released those funds. Is that is that what happened? Yes, some of the funds were held up in the state, but then they were then they eventually were released. So we did receive those funds. Thinking about the pandemic, it's it's not actually over, even though life has pretty much returned to normal, right? And, and schools don't have those measures like masking or social distancing or sort of extended quarantining for people who are, who may have COVID. So, or, or even online learning, although that obviously had some issues there too. So. What does the district do if there's an outbreak? Well, I think we'll continue to monitor as we have, and we'll continue to make sure we're putting our systems in place, making sure there's antibacterial, making sure that we keep everything clean. Um, We're continuing to use the MERV 13 filters. A lot of districts don't have that. So we have a great um, air infiltration system for our schools and just trying to keep everyone healthy and back to school. And, you know, we do have Hillsborough virtual. So students who don't feel comfortable, they can continue to be on virtual 
or Florida Virtual. So there's still those options for those families, but people realize that anything can happen. I mean, I don't think people could have guessed three years ago what would have happened to us today. So I think people just need to be vigilant and continue to just put those systems in place to continue to make sure our students are safe and our staff and faculty are safe as well. Do all of the schools in Hillsborough County have those filtration systems? Yes, they do. We have more of 13 filters in all of our schools, all of our public schools. I can't speak for charter schools, but for our public schools, we do. Thinking back, thinking again, rather, about funding and, and budget issues, what kind of financial shape is the district in going into the school year? Because there have been, aside from the money we talked about at the top of our conversation, there have been some longer standing budget issues for the Hillsborough County Public Schools. So what kind of shape are you in heading into this 2022-23 school year? Well, I think you're seeing it statewide because at the end of the day, the cost of living in Florida has increased, but the amount of funding that has gone to education has not. If you look at what has occurred, we're at the very bottom for funding throughout the state. And, you know, there are states like most, a lot of Southern states are a lot less expensive to live in and they're receiving a large amount of funding. So unfortunately, as far as, as a legislative on the state level, we're just not receiving the funding that's needed. And so that obviously affects us from when it comes from the top down. If you look at other districts where students are receiving almost double per pupil allocation, we're at the very bottom. And so that's going to affect us. The superintendent has come in. We've done a lot of cost saving. We've done so many, we've had to do cuts. We've had to change a lot of different things. But for the first time in years, we are going to enter the school year in the black. Um, But it also means that we still are really lacking funding to be able to pay our teachers. And that is the biggest challenge that we're facing now. Overall, as a nation, Florida is at the very bottom when it comes to funding for for students. What does it mean for the teachers and the kids too, though? I mean, does that mean that some of those classes are going to be pushing the boundaries of what's acceptable in terms of class size? Or does it mean that you're going to be heading into the school year without the requisite number of teachers you need? I think what you're going to see is um, no longer is there going to be a class where there's not a full number of students. We really need to look at each class, like surgically each school, and make sure that our classes are really filled. And if there were electives, I mean, it's sad. If there are electives that are high interest, but there's not enough students in those classes, then those aren't going to be available. So we're going to have to make sure that every class is really at at capacity and that we make sure that we are looking at every single position at the district level um, and at the at the school level too, and making sure that we have enough teachers, because that's the most important thing. And it's very hard to uh, continue to meet those needs based on the financial support of 20 years ago. How many teachers is Hillsborough County School District short? It was about 680 teachers, but it's going to be really hard to determine how many teachers were short until school starts, until stu- students start entering school. So I think what you're gonna, what you're going to see is you're going to see that our our area superintendents and our cabinet will be really looking at each school and making sure that the right number of teachers are are at the school. So once again, if we have a low number of students who are entering that school, then there may be cuts and those teachers are going to be transferred to other schools. So I think we're going to have to really look at that more closely once school starts. But right now it's all hands on deck. Everybody who's in the district office, we've looked at everybody and everybody's out deployed at the schools for the first 30 days of school. 
Nadia Combs is the chair of the Hillsborough County School Board. You're listening to Florida Matters. Coming up, public schools aren't just facing a teacher shortage, they're also scrambling to find enough bus drivers. We'll talk with Tampa Bay Times education reporter Jeff Solacek about the impact of a bus driver shortage on schools and more. The conversation continues in just a minute. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. Students head back to class this week and public schools are facing a teacher shortage, but that's not all. They're also struggling to hire enough bus drivers. For more on what this means for students, teachers and parents and other big issues for schools in the Tampa Bay region, we're joined by Tampa Bay Times education reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. It's great to be asked back. Thanks. It's been a long time since we've talked, isn't it? It has been a long, has been a while, but uh, the new school year is upon us and um, teachers and students and parents are getting ready for it. And, you know, Jeff, last year, the school year began under the shadow of COVID. The pandemic hasn't gone away, but it's no longer front and center. So I'm wondering what's on the minds of teachers, administrators and parents that you're speaking to? I just visited a school the other day and the teachers were all very excited to be back for what they're hoping will be a normal school year. They were just getting their classrooms ready. They were reconnecting with their friends, meeting new colleagues, doing things like setting up their their houses, which is the way that they're organizing the school this year. They also, of course, had to have training on the new rules and procedures, of which there are now many coming down from the state. And they're trying to make sure that they understand what's in front of them so that they can have an excellent normal school year for the first time in a while. We heard from a Pinellas County elementary school teacher who reached out to us at Florida Matters. Uh, Her name's Julia, and she said that one of her concerns was the lingering effect of the shutdown. And she said, I'm quoting here, children who are previously at risk of struggling academically, socially, and or emotionally due to difficult living circumstances are exhibiting trauma-based behaviors, end quote. And she said that teachers aren't equipped to give those students the help they need. I'm wondering what you're hearing from teachers and others about those kind of lingering long-term effects of the pandemic. Teachers are concerned that kids are going to come back and still be maybe behind in their academics or maybe unable to, to cope with being around other people still. But they also are trying to make sure that they're not the ones who are dealing with all of that. And that's part of what the state is trying to say too, when they say, don't make teachers have to do more than teach. So I know in Pinellas, for instance, the district has spent a lot of time and energy on adding more mental health services that they're bringing into the schools rather than trying to make the teachers do all of that themselves, because it is a reality, not just in Pinellas, but across the state. And everybody wants to make sure that the kids are well treated in all their different aspects, because if they're not ready to learn, then teaching them sometimes becomes just a huge battle or maybe even a waste of time because you're not meeting their basic needs. We've heard quite a bit about school teacher shortages. Um, In fact, in Hillsborough County, there's a deficit of about 680 teachers. I know they're working to fill that. But the other um, shortage we're hearing about is bus drivers. And uh, in Hillsborough County, again, they say they're having to look elsewhere for drivers. Some drivers are going to be doing double shifts or longer shifts. What are you hearing from other counties, Jeff? Pretty much every school district has a bus driver shortage and a teacher shortage. I talked to a former principal who was just lamenting the fact that 
it's so bad. And she couldn't imagine trying to start a school year where you don't know who's going to be teaching the kids. You don't know if they're going to be arriving on time. And it's bad. I mean, Pasco has a deficit of, they said, about 354 teachers. The superintendent there told the school board the other day that he's contemplating using a fairly little known part of the state law, which allows him to declare an education state of emergency, which would allow him to make it easier to bring in other people to be teachers, cut through some of the red tape. The bus driver situation has gotten districts to look at reorganizing their, their routes, maybe cutting some routes, making sure that the kids get there on time who are on the buses and putting a little more responsibility on to parents to get their kids to school who maybe can't get on the bus. The teacher shortage and the bus driver shortage, Jeff, we heard a lot about the so-called great resignation across all industries and all parts of the economy in the last sort of 18 months or so. Is that sort of what's behind the lack of teachers and bus drivers this year, do you think? It really depends on who you ask. I know people hate it when you say that, but some teachers say that they want better pay. Some teachers say that they feel disrespected by the state or by their districts or by parents. Bus drivers, a lot of them don't get paid very well. Even the ones who are better paid than others, still it's right around the $16 an hour range. And you knew you can make more money doing other things and driving a bus is not easy. I spoke to a bus driver recently who was telling me that kids just doing things like getting up and moving from seat to seat while they're driving makes it a distraction that they have to take their eyes off the road, even for a split second and safety goes out the window. And when they try to say, kids, come up here, sit next to me. I need to make sure you're not doing anything wrong. They go home and tell their parents, the bus driver was mean to me. And then the mom is waiting at the bus stop the next day and saying like, don't you dare tell my kid what to do on your bus. And bus drivers, you know, they don't, a lot of them are retirees. A lot of them are not making very much money. And when they have that kind of static all over the place, it's not an easy job and you can find something else to do. And that sounds a little bit like what, of course, a lot of teachers may be experiencing when it comes to classroom discipline too, I'm sure. Absolutely. You mentioned, I just wanted to go back, Jeff, to something you mentioned before about um, this notion of an educational state of emergency and uh, allowing a district to bring in teachers who maybe don't meet the sort of regular standards. And I wonder what you're hearing um, about what you've been reporting on about the this notion of bringing in veterans and allowing them a pass, essentially a, a temporary teaching certificate while they're getting their degrees to teach, because there has been quite a bit of pushback from many in the teaching profession about that idea, but what's what's your take on that? There's two things. First, if there's no teacher in the classroom, you're going to be winding up with substitute teachers. And most districts around the state of Florida have requirements for substitute teachers who that are at the same level or lower than the types of requirements that would be placed upon these veterans that the state unanimously passed through the House and the Senate. And that thing passed back in February, March, and Nobody talked about it. The governor signed it into law. Nobody talked about it. Suddenly they put out a news release that said, oh, by the way, we're going to start implementing this law. So if any any veterans want to become teachers, and let's face it, how many of them really are going to want to be teachers if they don't feel at least somewhat qualified and a school doesn't feel like they're somewhat qualified too, right? So suddenly everybody's going nuts and, and maybe it's not as bad as everybody says it is. Although yes, it does have lower requirements 
than a teacher educated in a college of education who's gone through and gotten degrees and trained in all the different aspects. But it's better than having a substitute who has a GED. So I guess it's just a matter of perspective. What's your sense then, Jeff, of the biggest challenge that teachers are facing this year? <laughs> wow. Uh, there are a lot of them. But when I talk to these teachers, I think the, the biggest issue that they think that they face is being devalued, being not treated as professionals, being looked at as somebody who needs to be told by lawmakers to act properly when they don't feel like they've done much wrong in the past. So there's there's just a lot of, of angst and consternation going back and forth. The, the culture wars are happening, but not necessarily in the way that everybody thinks they are, and teachers are feeling it. So does that come back to some of those controversial new laws, for example, the parental rights and education law and how that may manifest as, as it rolls out? Yeah, definitely. You have these laws that basically are trying to tell teachers, you know, you, and let's face it, the governor and his supporters have said it. Teachers are not doing these things. They're, they're indoctrinating. They're treating children badly. They're, they're, they're all these bad things. They're, they're providing information that doesn't belong there. And the teachers are saying, no, that's not true. That's not in our schools. That's not what we do. We work well with our children. We, we understand parents. We are parents. And to have this laws come down and say, you better watch out what you say. You better watch out what you give. Otherwise, we're going to possibly sue your school district and maybe we'll come after you is very discouraging to these people. And who can blame them for being upset? And so while they're trying to do these real things, like we talked about before, meet the children's needs, whether they have mental health issues or they've fallen behind academically or whatever it is, and suddenly they have all this piled on top of them where they have to go to sessions where they say, now let's look at HB7, let's look at HB 1467. You better check your libraries to make sure you have no books about this, that, or the other. So teachers are stressed, some of them anyway. Some of them are just saying, well, you know, that's just the lay of the land and we're going to deal with it. Just back to the start of the school year, is there anything I didn't ask you that you're going to be paying particular attention to as the school year gets underway? Late buses. I think that's really going to be the most interesting thing starting the school year. Late buses and whether kids are getting there to learn. Nobody's really paying that much attention to COVID, like you said. So I guess one other issue might be does COVID rear its ugly head and what do schools do about it? And the bottom thing of it all, of course, is how they academically cope with some of these things. Because one thing we didn't talk about at all was the change in testing and the change in standards, which are all coming into play. And teachers are having to deal with that in addition to all these other things. And so are the kids. And we don't know what progress monitoring is supposed to look like yet. And that's something that the new law requires. And so that will be, of course, the most important thing beyond all the political stuff. Well, Jeff Solacek covers education for the Tampa Bay Times. We've been speaking with him about the start of the school year 2022-23. Jeff, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. It was fun. That's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. And we'd love to hear from you as we count down to the 2022 midterm elections. What do you want to know before voting in local and state elections this year? 
we're looking to our community to set the agenda. Look for our Democracy 2022 coverage on WUSF.org and tell us what you think. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.